<laughs> that is how they say it. Pastors Cut Podcast. This is for the week of May 29th, 2022, and we've got the band back together. Woo-hoo. Look at that. We're all back in the same place. We even have Brad back in the sound booth. Yes. Brad, how Welcome are you? everyone. Back in the saddle again. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, so Brad and I have something in common that we both have uh, had COVID here recently. Uh, Brad, I hope you don't mind me uh, violating every HIPAA rule and letting people <laughs> at home know you've had COVID. But Brad was very symptomatic, I had and I was the COVIDs. He had the COVIDs. Like. He had plural COVIDs. <laughs> I was asymptomatic. So here, here's the first thing we're going to discuss today. I've been persecuted, okay, because Sunday morning, uh, I, I tested positive on Friday. Don't know how long I've had COVID. I tested positive. I said, all right, I'm going to pre-record the message for Sunday. So Sunday, I stayed at home. But then Monday, the Eagles are coming to town. Uh-oh. <laughs> so I've missed church, but at the last possible minute, I test. I'm now negative, and so I go to the Eagles concert, and now people have been judging me for skipping church on Sunday but going to the Eagle concert on Monday. So hateful. What a grace and mercy that God gave you. What a miracle. It's a miracle. <laughs> it is a festivist miracle. So here's the deal. I know, I know this church, all right? So let's say I had done this. Let's say I'd faked the whole thing and skipped church and gone to the concert on Monday. I've been in this church 22 years. Don't you think I deserve at least one? Mm-hmm. I mean, God rewards his servants, right? Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. this is it. But, see, I live, in, I live in a church where people, oh, I'm going to go to the OU game on Saturday or the OSU game, but I'll sleep in on Sunday and skip church. Mm-hmm. So after me putting up with that for 22 years, I think I get one. All I know <laughs> we'll is, all I know is, I was sick as a dog on Sunday, and I led worship, and you guys were off gallivanting around the world, and you know, <laughs> uh, poor pitiful me. It's the sound of me weeping right now. <laughs> oh goodness! I'm so glad you feel better, Brad. Me too. You don't look any better though. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. So, because he already looked great before, so, so let's talk. Let's talk about feeling bad. Um, we are in the first part of this teaching series on anxiety, lessons from the end of the rope, and I really want to stick with a couple of really basic principles mm-hmm. um, and things that we can practice. Practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. And from Jesus's teaching in Matthew six practice living in the present moment. So much of our anxiety is because we're dealing with the past or wrestling with the future. Practicing the presence of God. His presence brings peace and is transformative. God is never absent from our life, but we are oftentimes not aware of his presence. And then to practice the presence of people. I know when I focus on myself, things get pretty dark, but when I start serving and ministering to others, my own, my own cloud lifts just a bit maybe it's because I realize I don't have any real problems, that most of my problems are imagined. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the baseline of of everything that we're talking about um, from the teachings of Jesus, but we're going to start looking at particular individuals who dealt with anxiety. We're going to start with Elijah, 1 Kings 19. Uh, Marissa, would you just just read for us um, 
verse 1 through, uh, you know, let's go all the way through verse 5. Okay. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, but it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So this comes on the heels of 1 Kings 18, which is the context of uh, Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. Great public victory. And people say, well, how, how could he have such a great public victory followed by such a, a moment of personal agony? But I think we all know people who, when they're up in front of the crowds, they're the life of the party. Mm. But then behind the scenes, they might deal with, with depression. And so here, out of the public spotlight, in kind of this personal moment, he falls apart. Uh, Jezebel is the wife of Ahab, Ahab the king of Israel. He was not an effective leader at all. And so Jezebel is kind of calling the shots here. So we're going to talk a little bit about depression. But as we get into that, um, you know, Marissa, you read the scripture. What mm-hmm. stood out to you? I think just uh, just how completely exhausted he was. Um, there's a popular tweet that makes the rounds ever so often that says, uh, this is your gentle reminder that one time in the Bible, Elijah said, God, I'm so mad, I want to die. So God said, here's some food. Why don't you take a nap? So Elijah slept, ate, and decided things weren't so bad. Never underestimate the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. And that's a very popular yes. tweet that just keeps coming through because, <laughs> man, a nap and a snack can solve a lot of problems. I'm telling you. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we all know what it means to be hangry. And yeah, it, it yeah. probably is the equivalent mm. of when you're sleep deprived. But I've said before, one of the most spiritual things you can do is take a nap. Mm-hmm. Rest. Absolutely. Yeah. But that quote says Elijah was mad. I think there's so many more emotions wrapped up into what Elijah was feeling than just anger or frustration. He was exhausted. He was coming, like you said, off of this huge elation, this huge victory. And almost immediately he tanked um, from the physical and the spiritual and the emotional exhaustion of it all. And I think uh, th- I love that there's so many introverts in the Bible. Clearly, this is somebody who mm. who uh, who was just spent. And I think, too, that he had tied so many hopes into the showdown at Mount Carmel. Um, It had seemed like a victory. In the moment, it was certainly a victory. Um, And he had, uh, the Israelites had witnessed this incredible display of God's power, Um, so much so that they then defeated 850 prophets of Baal. Um, But it all seemed for nothing. Um, Even in the Hebrew language today, uh, the word husband is, is Baal. Um, Baal means my master, my owner, my Lord. So even today, there's still remnants of Baal in the culture of the Israelites. Um, It just seemed like it was all for nothing. If this wasn't going to change their mind and turn them back and restore them to God, what was going to? So he was just tired. He was tired of being angry. He was tired of feeling crazy. Uh, He was tired of the isolation of it all. He was tired of every effort that he expended to show people the power of God seemed fruitless, and he was just tired of feeling tired. Tired of being tired. So, um, you know, this is not about physical health, although we are spiritual beings that have a physical body. 
And so as a car runs on gas for energy and needs oil to run smoothly, so our bodies. We need food as energy, and we need sleep to run smoothly. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. we are deprived of either one of those things, it will affect our spiritual life. Dave, what stands out to you? So I, I don't know that you have to necessarily be an introvert to relate to this passage. I think extroverts as well can Says relate. Says the extrovert. Says the extrovert. <laughs> I know, I know, but I, I, I could literally see how an extrovert could have an incredible high and then immediately feel like the, the wind is knocked out of your sails by someone coming along and threatening your life. And so the first thing you do is you run and you run and you run and you run. You run so far and so fast. A day's journey in the middle of the desert when it's 120-something degrees outside, you're exhausted. I'm literally picturing the, the, the desert outside of Phoenix where I grew up where it's so hot that the air temperature in the shade is 118 degrees. Hateful. In direct sunlight, it's probably 140, 145, and that's that's the heat that's radiating off of the desert pavement, and so he's just exhausted, and he finds the first piece of shade that he can find and sits down. But the beauty is, is that in the middle of him running away from what he perceives as his problems, God still meets him there. Mm-hmm. God provides shade for him. God provides food for him. God meets him even though he's running away in the wilderness in the middle of, you know, the, the Jewish people thought of the wilderness as uncontrolled, chaotic territory that, that, that was no man's land. God met him in no man's land. Mm-hmm. God often meets us at our lowest. And, and he says three things here. I've had enough. We understand that. Take my life. We understand that. I'm no better than my ancestors. That's, that's one that is open to interpretation. Well, if you think about this, all of his ancestors were dead. All of his ancestors were no longer making a difference. So what Elijah is saying is, my my life doesn't add up to much. I'm not making a difference. Things aren't changing the way I want them mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. So I'll just tell this part of the story, and then, Dave, I'll ask you to read this, this appearance um, of the Lord to Elijah. But uh, an angel touched him, get up and eat. And so he eats, he drinks, he lays down. Second round happens. It's... Uh, wakes up a second time, eat, drink, the journey is too much for you, and then fueled by this, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights to meet Mount Horeb, which is the mountain of God, and he went into the cave to spend the night. I do want to make this note, Dave, before you read uh, from verse, the latter part of verse 9 all the way to verse 18. Uh, there's an echo of Moses here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Moses crossed the desert, so he crosses the desert, not 40 years, but 40 days. He goes to Mount Horeb where the law was received. He goes into a, cl- a cave, as, and it's believed this may be a, the cleft of the rock where, where Moses was hidden by God as God passed by. He wanted to see God. And I think it's so interesting that Jesus, on the eve of his crucifixion, the transformation moment, the transfiguration, who appears with him? But Moses and Elijah, mm-hmm. uh, these two people who sought God intensely, mm-hmm. um, also counseled Christ on the eve of his crucifixion. So... Uh, that's a little foreshadowing there, but Dave, why don't you read, um, I tell you what, let's just read the latter part of verse 9 uh, on to verse 14. Okay. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. One of the great scenes of God appearing to uh, Elijah, and I, I want to put a joke up for a vote. On Sunday <laughs> I teach this, I'm going to say this proves that God loves 70s music because you have earth, wind, and fire. Should, should I use that? Love it. Do it. Love Do it. it. Is it See ir- how many people catch it. <laughs> All the old people will. Millennials will not know what I'm talking about. Oh, they will. You think oh, so? Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Is it not? Is it not too irreverent? Not at all. Well, then I'm not. For, use for it. somebody who went to an Eagles concert rather than a church, I think <laughs> not irreverent at all. Hey, you need to take it easy. <laughs> See how many more Eagles references I can just kind of slide in there through now. We, we could have the early band play September as the going out music. Yeah, there's nothing better. Yeah. So, so what is this, uh, Dave? I'm going to let you just kind of ping first on what what stands out to you here. So I find it fascinating that Elijah says the same speech twice. Just as God fed him twice, Elijah turns around and gives the same speech to God two times. Like he has this rehearsed thing inside of his mind. He's been telling himself again and again and again, my world is horrible. Self-talk. But Mm -hmm. the beauty of it is, is God listens both times. Both times God is quick to hear and let Elijah finish his whole speech before he says anything. And then after God listens and God gives room for Elijah to vent and get it all out, get it off his chest, both times, I know we didn't read the second one, but the command go is present both times. So both times God gives very clear direction in that place to offer some new hope in the middle of of that self-rehearsed speak. Thank God that he is a patient father. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's a patient father. Marissa, what pings to you? Yeah, exactly what Dave said. He never invalidated the way Elijah was feeling. Uh, even though there wasn't, um, there was an intensity of feeling, there wasn't a lot of truth behind it, they were still very, very real feelings. And that is the same for us when we get into periods of depression and despair. God never invalidates the way we feel. He never told Elijah that he was wrong. And Elijah had nothing to be ashamed of. Um, He says, I was zealous for you. And that's true. This isn't a Jonah uh, situation where he begrudgingly was serving God. He was passionate about God. He burned with every ounce of his being for God. But just like the fires that came down from Mount Carmel, I mean, that will burn you up. And he needed to be replenished. So this is God bending low to listen to give Elijah what he needs to live on. Like what we said before, a nap and a snack, but also water, safety, that cave, his presence, his safety, um, community, which we'll see later, and a hope for the future. Um, this, is, uh, this is God giving everything to Elijah that he needs. His, his physical needs are met, his spiritual, his emotional needs are met. Because in a way, Elijah saw his role as to be the restorer of Israel. Um, that no matter how hard he tried to show the people the power of the Most High, they kept slipping back into these idol-worshiping ways, these patterns of idol worship and sin. And he saw himself as the only one left to stand between Israel and destruction. Um, The only one left who could save the entire nation. 
<clears throat> excuse me. So um, my mom tells this story about my granddad, who was an evangelist and still is. Um, and uh, I see him as a continuation of men like Paul and like Elijah. Um, she tells this story of, of um, a few days after I was born. We lived in New York City. And my granddad was looking out um, from his hotel room window at all the lights. And he started to cry. And you would think, it's like, oh, it's such a beautiful sight. You know, this pastor from Oklahoma in New York City. Um, but it wasn't because of the lights, the beauty of the city. He just stopped with tears running down his face to say, there are so many people here who need to know about Jesus. So many lost souls out there. So he had this beautiful kind of Luke 19 moment, uh, like Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. But he felt so burdened. That wasn't a burden that was his to bear. Uh, even Jesus felt so much anguish, and uh, that isn't something that we're meant to experience. We're supposed to have a heart for people. We're supposed to spread the gospel with boldness and gentleness, but it's ultimately other people's responsibility, how they're going to respond to God. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of Elijah's pain was just that he put himself in a position that was God's alone, that it was God who saves people, not, not Elijah. And we can barely control our own response to God, um, much less trying to control other people's response to God is a, is a fool's errand. You know, what I appreciate about continuing to study the Scripture is I've, you know, I've read this passage innumerable times, taught on it dozens of times, uh, but only in this last reading, you know, what, what's really happening here? God, God appears in, in forms that would be familiar to Moses again, kind of going back to the Moses. There's the, mm-hmm. the wind of parting the sea that Moses experienced, so there's a great wind. There's earthquakes that would swallow up the enemies of Moses. There would be, uh, uh, you know, fire which would guide Moses and the children of Israel. So God appears in, in so those same forms. God was not in any of those, but instead of a gentle whisper. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea that sometimes God moves in spectacular ways. Mm-hmm. He does. But God also, uh, he never does anything always except love us. He'll also move in some very simple ways. And so here Elijah just coming off this big spectacular thing, and he thinks it's going to change a nation. Well, it doesn't have the effect. It doesn't have the, the big splash he thought it would. But God is still at work, and sometimes he works in simple ways, and that would parlay into what he's about to command Elijah to do. Not these big spectacular things, but just small, simple things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you kind of go back to that idea of one foot up, one foot down. You just do the next right thing mm-hmm. um, and, and follow the Lord. Dave, looks like you have something on your mind. No, I'm just, I'm just nodding. I'm, I'm listening and agreeing <laughs> with what you're saying. Dave has nothing on his mind right <laughs> I have now. nothing on my I, I, There is something incredibly simple and profound that, that while God used Elijah to perform these great signs and wonders for the entire people of Israel, and he may have anticipated God speaking to him in the same way, and instead God did something small and simple to speak to him, that we look for signs and wonders. We, we want the big grand show, and God just wants to simply sit down with us. So, so where does it say in the Scripture, do not despise a day of small things? Anybody know? No. It's, it's, it's in there. <laughs> Dave will Google it while I read this last part of the passage. Do not, do not despise a day of small things. I really hope that's in the Bible because if not, if it's in Shakespeare, I'm going to be really... Uh, I hope it's Shakespeare. It could be much worse. It could be much worse. <laughs> so uh, the Lord said to Elijah, go back, 
the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shabbat, from Abel Mahalom, to succeed you as prophet. Key in uh, pronouncing these Hebrew names is just pretend like you know what you're doing. <laughs> Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So God gives Elijah three things to do. One is an international uh, move. Go anoint this person, king over Aram, which would be Israel's enemies. God can even use enemies. Uh, do a national movement, you know, anoint a new king that will take the place of Ahab and anoint your successor, Elisha. So God gives him three tasks to do. Notice God doesn't answer all of Elijah's questions. He gives him a task. But in a way, giving him a task is the answer to the question. Uh, all of his concerns. It's, Elijah, you're still worthy to be used by me, and that's all you need to know right now. Just trust me and do the next right thing. Dave, did you find the uh, the verse? I did find the verse. So it's Zechariah 4.10. Yes. You were there. Yep. It was there. <laughs> what does it say? Who dares despise the day of small things, since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Do not despise a day of small things. And so um, God has given Elijah some, what, what would appear to be on the surface, a couple of political, some spiritual things to do, but they would have impact in years to come, more so than probably what happened on Mount Carmel. So discuss amongst yourselves. <laughs> and I'm going to relish in the fact that I quoted the Bible. <laughs> Zechariah even. You quoted Zechariah. You were right there in, yes. in a minor prophet. That yeah, was awesome. Yeah. I... I love that, that at the end, there's something to, to look back at at this, that when we're depressed, when we're, when we're looking within ourselves, that, all, that God wants to give us direction to look beyond ourselves, and that seems to be enough to give us momentum to move forward. Mm -hmm. That it's, it's more than just simply sitting and soaking in and continuing to hear our own speech and hear our own voice, to hear the voice of God and just take a step forward and take that next step. And that's one of the reasons we're memorizing Scripture as we go through this. Mm -hmm. It's uh, replacing our self-talk that is often false with the truth of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Marissa, what you got? Yeah, and you've been talking about the reflections of Moses' story in these texts. Um, just like we talked about last week in Numbers 11, um, Moses felt completely alone in his faith, and it was you know this incredibly isolating feeling that only added to his burden. Um, and God raised the elders up around him to ca help carry that burden and to strengthen him. And here, too, in the end of our passage, God is taking care of Elijah's immediate physical needs, and then he affirms that, you know what, you've never been alone. We've had each other. Elijah, you know, was always affirmed that God was present with him, but there are people there for him, too. Um, I'll mention that William S. Burroughs quote that I mentioned last week, which is, listen, Zachariah, much holier than William S. Burroughs. Oh, Don't, no, no. Uh, Yes. I'll trust I, you because I don't know who that person is. <laughs> Good. Don't look him up. But okay. he does say something really beautiful <laughs> about uh, about uh, being the only sane person left in a room. He say, says, you know, it doesn't make you feel self-righteous or proud or superior to be that person. 
it makes you feel depressed and scared because there's no one you can relate to, no one to talk to. And Darren, you can probably um, speak to um, how dangerous it is for pastors and spiritual leaders to be isolated and to um, kind of isolate yourself without peers or community or a group of other people to talk to in confidence. I mean, it's it's pretty dangerous, is it not? It, it is, and I, and I will say this is the benefit of serving in a larger church because I've I've been a, a sole staff member at a church in a small little country church, and then to work on a staff, the camaraderie and the communication mm-hmm. is it's, that that feeds my soul. The toughest job on the planet is to be the solo pastor mm-hmm. of a church where you don't have anybody else in that church to, to right. connect with, yeah. and so. Mm-hmm. I would charge those of you who know who know a pastor of a small church and they're isolated uh, to reach out and love. That's that's worth more than you ever possibly know. But I, we just have the benefit of being in a in a larger setting mm-hmm. with colleagues and camaraderie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I also like here is um, God calls Elisha to uh, excuse me Elijah <laughs> to doubt his doubts. I'm all alone, you know. I, I doubt I'm ever going to be useful. Well, God. Puts him to work. You're still useful to me. Just do what I tell you to do, and you're and you're not alone. So all these doubts you have, doubt your doubts. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not listening to the voice in our own head, which may or may not be telling us the truth. Most of the time, it's not. But we listen to the truth of God's word. Mm-hmm. Is that all we got for today? No, but we can end. <laughs> I, yeah, I think for the sake of time, we should. Yeah, so yes. one, one last question. So if y'all were to skip church for a concert, obviously mine is the Eagles. So if you if you said, I'm, I'm going to skip church, who would make the cut? Who would be your concert sin? Jesus. <laughs> she oh. did the Jesus juke on us. She did. She pulled it out. Man, that is that is such <laughs> a hard question because there's so many good bands out there. I would have to say, based on my listening preferences of the moment and what I was listening to on the way in, it would be a hard tie between the '90s Christian rock band PFR. Because I still actually like PFR. That's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. That's all right. Or Lifehouse. Okay. Y'all are so much more spiritual than me. <laughs> I've just seen all the bands before, so I don't yeah. need to. I don't I, need to skip church. I mean, I would. Uh, I just you know. I couldn't afford a concert ticket to go <laughs> anywhere else. <laughs> this is, this is I, imagination. So money is not an option. Yeah. All right. Well, I would. I Jesus would understand <laughs> if I uh, if if we could go back into to uh, recent history. To see Freddie Mercury sing live, okay, Ooh. I would, I would ask for forgiveness on that one. That, that that'd be all right. Yeah, I mean, he's all, a great all the current artists, I don't think I would skip because I'd just say there's another chance what, I'll see him again. But so Bon Jovi would also be on my list. Okay, that's that's a look of judgment. <laughs> Not at all. He has beautiful hair. He does have beautiful hair. Maybe that's it. And uh, yeah, and a little known uh, country band called the Mavericks. I would probably probably skip church for them too. So. <laughs> But that's it. Okay. That's it. All right. Well, since that's uh, that's all we've got, uh, Elijah is going to survive to live another day, mm. and I will never skip church again. That's the lesson <laughs> I've learned. Okay, we good? <laughs> all right. So um, we will be back next week with another episode of Pastor's Cut Podcast, and please invite people. This is a great opportunity as we deal with things like anxiety and depression. Uh, how to seek God in the middle of that. And what I would say as a parting note is 
um, a person who has anxiety or deal with, deals with depression does not necessarily lack faith. It right. can be the very opportunity to build faith. Mm-hmm. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.